Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Snipers Hide, and we got the music back for you guys. I'm kind of in one spot again, and I can play the music. But we also have another interview podcast for you, because like I said, I'm kind of getting bored talking to myself. So I want to bring on as many people as I can and, and just have conversations with people. So it's not just listening to me say the same old thing. So say hello to Eric Finley from Seven Foxtrot Firearm Training down in Texas. Eric, how you doing? And welcome to the Everyday Sniper Podcast. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. How things down in Texas? You guys don't have snowmageddon coming, do you? Well, we had that ice storm hit us a while back, but right now we're it's 80 degrees here, so we're out shooting and having fun. Nice. Yeah, we had you know what? It's funny too cuz it was it's been 70 all week here, 65-70 in Colorado, and then t- tomorrow we're getting our our giant snowstorms coming in, and that's usually how it works here lately. It's like, you know, unless we get like a dusting where it's no big deal, but if we're going to have any kind of substantial snow, 99% of the time in the like the last three years, it's been 65 degrees like the week before, and then it snows, you know. Um, but we had the, the negative when you guys got your storm too, so that was pretty nasty. Yeah, we were actually um, several places around here lost power. I know uh, Jacob was about to run that, the brawl down here when it all hit, so that affected him some, uh, not only on attendance, but also like ROs and things like that able to make it. Yep. And that's kind of, uh, to just to kind of talk about this podcast a little bit with people, uh, talking with Jacob and we're doing a lot more and, 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 you know, we've had these past episodes, uh, Chris way, Chris Roberts, all, you know, Jacob, Phil and Pete and those guys, everybody's talking about, you know, regional and in, in location-based changes to precision rifle competition. And that's kind of where you and I got into the phone call because uh, my moderator, Dave Thomas, is working with you and doing rimfire stuff, and he's working with Jacob, and then there's there's the the South Texas connection with everybody. You're over, you're in the San Antonio area, right? San Antonio? Uh, yeah, San Antonio, about an hour south of there in Pearsall. I, got a, I built a facility on 164 acres, Mainly so that I could train and train, do my training courses on on things we talk about, where the fundamentals and and ensuring that you're you're a good rifleman before you start doing all this other stuff. Exactly, and so that's kind of where you and I connected in to get the conversation going. And and just a little bit more historical, um, you, and and I saw you put it in, but I didn't read the fine print. But you guys are going to be announcing over there. For the Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association, the gathering is going to be at your location um, when it happens moving forward. I know it was changed last year because of COVID, but um, I did the gathering out here in Colorado the first year, and then the second year they were moving it over to your location at uh, Seven Foxtrot, correct? That's right, and actually uh, just spoke with Tim with the Scout Sniper Association, Tim Parkhurst, and he said we can announce it. It is going to be... The first weekend of October, October 2nd and 3rd, uh, we'll be doing a benefit match to raise funds for the Marine Corps Scout Sniper Association. I believe the Army Sniper Association jumping in on that, too. It's going to be a four-day event with uh, some training uh, courses and stuff uh, to start it, and then an actual a match with a mixture of some of the PRS stuff and then some of the, the sniper-type uh, things. And what we want to do is get you know Army and Marine snipers that are on active duty to come out and those that have were before 
and let the public come in for these matches and, and actually, you know, raise funds for the association, which they then turn around and give scholarships out to kids. And, and then also we help get gear for snipers that are deployed and, and so forth. But it's all about that. And let, let, let us mix in and get to see each other and know more about each, both sides. Cause I know when I came off active duty and I've shot my first, uh, PRS match, it, it was a, you know, it was an eye opener. It was a different, different game than what I was used to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was the big thing when I went down to Texas. You know, I, I'd been out of, of the Marine Corps a couple of years, and then, then Jacob brought me down and said, hey, come on down and see what we're doing down here. And it was kind of eye-opening, just the difference in mindset and how people shoot and train. And and so going back in time, it, 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 is, a, it is a lot different for people uh, getting out of the service and then going into the civilian side of the, especially today with the shooting competitions. So you're there to bridge that gap. And yes, the army is attending. Um, the gatherings are the army and the Marine Corps. We had 65 people out here when we did it. So hopefully, you know, good luck for you guys. And it's open, like Eric says to anybody, you just basically show up. There was food, drinks, uh, get-togethers, active-duty guys. Uh, I know we had the schoolhouse. Um, Chris Roberts and Chris Rance, when they were working the schoolhouse, actually came out and did a um, rapid target engagement like the military does for guys to see. So fun time all around for everybody. So hopefully in October, if you're in the San Antonio area, you're going to go down to the gathering and enjoy. And everyone's invited. That's that's the whole thing about it. We we want to share this and and then get some of the old guys together, do some camaraderie and some fellowship on it also. So let's kind of jump into this mindset, like right off the bat, because that's been the um, I mean, really, that is the underlying theme of the conversations we've been having on the Everyday Sniper podcast in regard to competitions. It's that again, the mindset's changing. People who are getting uh, experience doing the matches like they do today are kind of getting bored with it and wanting to go to something else. And and it's good to be self-reflective. It's good to look at, you know, and, and to say, where is my audience and what do they want? And then adapting to that audience. So that's where like your and I conversation came in uh, a month or two ago was discussing you know, how do you change and, and just give everybody your sort of mindset looking at your facility matches you put on and just run with it, how you see things changing and, and what feedback you're getting from the competitors there, Eric. Well, so the unique thing about mine is I've, I've got a facility I've set up so that you can teach fundamentals, but then we can turn around and teach some of the uh, alternate shooting positions, some rapid target engagements. I'm putting a mover in soon so that we'll have them be able to teach movers. But I've set it up so we can then also run a match on it. Well, that puts me in a, a double mindset. Though One is a, um, trying to set it up for training, the facility itself, then set it up so that matches can be held on there. But as a match director is how am I going to appeal to you know the, the 80% of those shooters that are out there while still challenging the top 10. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, what I found is, is when I, when I was setting these up and, and learning the, the ins and outs, how these matches work, it, it, it was a whole different thing of gear and, and people were starting to show up with uh, carts and dragging all these different bags around and 
you know, two or three tripods and things like that. And it's like, you know, it, it's great to have all that stuff, but it started looking like a bench rest thing where you basically drop your rifle on, on a heavy bag and get behind it and don't let it move and shoot at the target. Um, where, well, in the carts too. I mean, the way people are carrying and moving gear, it's, it's kind of like bringing your shelf with you. It's like, let's put, you know, let's put wheels on a shelf. Let's let's push this cart around like the F class and, and exactly like you said the bench rest people do, and you know and then we're gonna we're gonna walk we're we're walking a tactical rifle match with a push cart, baby right. carriage. It's a baby carriage. Yeah, and and so I started looking at it, and then uh, I started looking at some other you know matches that were out there, and and people started running matches where they were adding movement and they were getting rid of. Um, bipods or rear bags or you know things like that and and i was like wow that that's interesting on there and that went back to some of the things that both me and you learned back you know in the in the core uh going to sniper school and doing doing that sort of stuff is where you had what was on your back that's what you had um and then and then you've only fired two or three shots from one position that's what you trained to do so I started implementing that to some of the in some of my matches in one or two stages during you know an eight stage match and the shooters loved it. They were they were like this is fun. We're we're moving long distances. We're we're um, you know they're moving they're on a clock to have a time done and they only get to shoot two or three from each one, but they got to reestablish a position and shoot. They were enjoying that sort of stuff. Well, I started hearing more and more that they want to do that, and then. Of course, Jacob did his thing with the no bag the second day at the brawl, and and then the Hunter series from NRL is coming out. People are really enjoying these these type of things, and I think that's a, a way we need to we need to look at is is they're getting back to the fundamentals. They're not using a thirty pound or twenty two pound rifle. That was a little Freudian slip there, I guess. Um, well, where, there's, there's thirty pound rifles for sure. <laughs> I know. But they're getting back to the, you know, the 16 pound or less rifle that like, you know, the M40A1 I learned on was 18 pounds. And, and that was a 308 that you didn't have all this extra weight to, to deal with, deal with recoil and stuff. You had to learn the fundamentals to, to manage recoil and see what was going on after you pulled the trigger. Well, and our mindset was different too, because we had a spotter. We always, you know, our mind was let him do that. And we're just, you know, firing the rifle and, 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 you know, then we'll get information. But now you have to do everything yourself. And I, you know, for me, I'm looking at this and, and, and these conversations are sparking, you know, the changes, sparking mindset differences. And as I've talked to people, you know, I know for myself personally, I'm not looking to make the big sweeping change until 2022. But this year I'm looking at labs, you know, like what Chris and I talked about. And then we're looking at just, you know, high level things to change what you're talking about, the movement, the shots per target, the types of targets we're shooting. So I, I actually built uh, a, a project. So this is my project Um to, to organize and collect everything. So I came up, um, I did it yesterday, day before, but Project Foresight, and I'm doing it like Frederick Foresight and all that, the name-wise. Um, but anyway, it's what I, I wanted to do was kind of like a Day of the Jackal thing. And then I'm like, well, shoot, that's Edward Fox. Fox is too short. And I'm like, eh, all right, well, what's Foresight, you know? And, and so I just was coming up with codes. But then it's, you know, rifle weights, just like you said, when I weighed, 
the AIs, a, a short action AI AX is 18 pounds, you know, with a scope. A long action MC is 21 pounds. So you have to look at those weights. But at the same time, you have to look at how you challenge the shooter. Well, and, and so like I ran one, one match and I was, I, I was doing a stage. I was going to have nobody shoot, um, use a bag on a rock stage that I had. So they had to come up with another way to do it, which one of the rocks was a pointed rock. So it was out there and I actually had them come up and some guys come and say, you're really going to make us put our, our expensive stocks on this rock with, with no protection on it or anything. And, and it really kicked the mindset that these guys are out here to slap triggers They're you know, uh, that it's, it's no longer the fundamental out here. Um, well, but it's no longer field. It's really kind of like, if we look at tactical shooting field courses and kind of what we were trying to represent, even though like go back in time, they're all rifles only. I mean, then there was, you know, maybe four or five facilities like that. But what Gunsight was doing is very different than what Jacob was doing. Even though they touched on the same thing, the mindsets, if you went to a Gunsight, was different than if you went to Rifles Only. Right. And and so it, that, I think, drove things forward in a way where we tried to fight with our rifles, even though Rifles Only is a square range. We, we, de- we de- designed things to fight with it. We created the obstacle course. We, we built things that were more urban-esque. You know, I told somebody uh, this week, because one of the guys, you know, we're talking, you, me, Jacob, Phil, a lot of guys, we're all talking field-type stuff or getting back to traditional run-and-gun fighting with the rifle. And a criticism coming back our way is not every place can manage that type of activity. You know, so basically what they're saying is if you go to an East Close location or if you go to a location that's more built around a normal range, a square range for lack of a better word, or someplace that doesn't have the infrastructure built up, they may not be able to do what we're doing out West. And I get that, but eh, you're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. And I did a whole list of, you know, I'm, it's all positive now. We're going into, like, I'm, I'm not in the, like, I'm going to poke at you mode. I'm going to give you a solution mode is kind of where I'm at. Um, so I, I said to him, I said, dude, you're a square range. He goes, well, we can't do that. I said, yeah, but you can. Because you're an urban environment. You have, a, you have a, a range that's set up linear. You have a range that's tight and that has infrastructure, buildings, this, that. And so you have to move along the road. You have to move along the designated. Well, that's where you get creative with tarps. That's where you get creative with uh, spacing. So you don't put, and, and a great example I used was like Alaska for the Talkeetna range. They, they have the, the, um, the overhang we built. And they'll put a prop next to a prop next to a prop next to a prop. So you really only have a foot between them. 
And what you're doing is you're walking straight ahead as an assembly line, the three steps to that prop. Then you walk straight back and then you move over to your next prop and that's a new stage. And they're doing that for space. Well, get rid of half of those props and and put one extra spaces, another prop, and then move from them or block them. Use, make it an obstacle course, you know, within safe zones. But yes, absolutely, you can't do a field event at a square range. We get that. But you should turn your square range into an urban environment. Via- well, I think you gave an example before when you were talking about some things you did at uh, Rifles Only, where y'all, t- y'all took bags and weighted them down and they had to move these bags certain distance. Um, and even if it's on square range, maybe they de- deploy their rifle and put it in the prone position or prone next to the prop, grab the bags, run a distance, and then come back with it to get their heart rate up. And then, be- But it's all on the clock. Absolutely. I mean, heck, you can even... You know, say you you do have just exactly what you said. You have that limited room. You can have a guy in a prone and say, hey, man, I only have one lane, one shooter worth of space here. And it's a prone stage. You can basically have the guy in the prone set his rifle up, take three shots, have him stand up, run backwards, go do something, and then come back to his rifle. You know, if if safety, if location, if different things are in your way, you know, you again, it's your only limitation is your imagination. I mean, I know you and I have been talking um last week or so. You just bought a whole bunch of props, right? You got helicopter bodies and stuff just showed up. Well, I got a helicopter body that I just got at OH-58 that I got out of scrap on a GSA auction, but then... I came across something and I was just using my imagination and actually my wife saw it and says, why don't you use this? And I was like, that's not a bad idea. There was an auction that had a working pumper fire truck that was sitting out there with lights and everything on it. And I got that thing. And now I have a a fire truck that you can climb all over and shoot off of, but it's not something you can just walk up to and drop a bag and shoot off. You got to climb up and down on it. You have to think about what your rifle is doing find a way to carry all that gear, wherever you want to go. Or don't carry the gear. So it becomes a, a mental game also. Absolutely. And and I, you know what? Some of the f- best stages I ever remember is um, Jacob over there, and you probably do too, I don't know, but he, he always had sitting right there the excavator, um, the excavator to move berms and stuff around. So we used the excavator and climb up and down on the excavator. But then we would also use the uh, flatbed in the truck that carried the excavator. You know, so you would put the truck and everything and it had the big bed and we would put props in the bed of the truck. You'd have to climb up, do a prop on the bed of the truck, climb down, shoot under the truck, climb into the cab of it, shoot out of it, then climb off of it and shoot off the bumper of it. You know, so we created these urban situations using vehicles like Phil of Lejo when he did Cody. You know, he did a blind stage on a square range. He took a van, he angled it away from you, you had to put a tarp in front of the van so you couldn't see in, and you had to build a position in the van. And what he did was use the target to dictate how tall or how far over that position had to be by being able to see the target or not. So the idea that 
Yes. Can you do land nav on a square range? No, but doesn't have to. Just do some kind of movement. Like, you know, uh, like you're talking about, back and forth um, with, the, with the shooter on, on the square range. You can give him a task. You know, can you do a field stage and do something? No, but you could do a blind stage would put a tarp up. I mean, getting a couple tarps and taping them up or nailing them up to the side of something and blocking some views isn't really that hard or expensive, and you can use old shitty tarps, you know? Well, well, those are some of the funnest stages, too, because you know you're using your imagination to what you can and can't do, and then you, you have to know your equipment. I, th- I had um, Tony Burks come out from uh, Tab Gear for one of our matches. He, he sponsored the blind stage, and what he did is he we had a container with a window in it, and we had targets out there. We just told them the range of the target. That's all they knew going in. So they went in ready to go for that. But then when they went in, they had to build a position shooting out of the window without resting the gun on the, the um, windowsill for half of it. And they had to use whatever Tony had piled up there for them to use. So they couldn't bring a bag in. They only had their bipod on the rifle and that's it. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it's, it's little stuff like that. Um, one of the lines I gave somebody – uh, or the same guy, actually, because it was a California situation where they said, hey, man, we're a square range. We're California. What do we do? It's like, dude, you're a Hollywood producer. Produce me a stage. Entertain me. Find me a reason to enjoy it. You know what I mean? Go out there, put a, change the target package up. Do something a little bit different with that. Use the targets to push me around as the shooter to say you got to be over here in order to shoot that target. I mean, even if you take scrap stuff, I would probably go with steel more than cardboard just to deflect. But one of the things I told people was create, uh, you know, what's 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 a challenge in a city? Well, target identification and threading a needle in a crowd. You know what I mean? So maybe it's putting a red target in the middle of a bunch of blue ones and saying, you know, missing the the red one or hitting a blue is negative points. I do think there should be consequences and negatives like we spoke about with Chris. But then make it so you got to thread it. You know, it's a tough shot. It's it's It could be a full-size plate, but only a partial exposure. You know, one, yeah. of the, one of the things Carl Taylor has done, and I mentioned this, is when he puts a full-size plate behind a cut stump, you only see pieces of it because it's leaning against the stump on the back, like the guys using it for cover. So stuff yep. like uh, that, uh, yeah, something like that. It works great for those because they, you give them the idea they have the full size plate, but then they get out there and they put their scope on it. It's like, oh, it's a limited exposure. Yeah, and 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 it could be long. You know what I mean? You could take a full size zipsick and basically take an inch and a half from the head down to the to the the waist. And only show an inch and a half of it. You know, right. it, it could be a situation where, oh, man, all I got is a big target left. What do I do with it? Put it close and block most of it. You know? And, and, yeah. and create. So, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I know we were discussing. Um, Jacob's been discussing. And so, d- d- well, go ahead. Well, one of the one things that I've also seen out here is the fact that you know, in the matches, you're, you're, you're 
better shooters aren't really conversing on how they would do something. It's, it's hold left edge. You know, uh, the wind was this. But they're not mentoring these younger ones because they're worried about their match score. So some some things that, that I've seen is, is how do you get those guys to actually work with those guys, to to build up the whole community as a whole, to get those 80 percenters to the top of the 80 per, You know what I mean? That, that mm-hmm. Have the guy pr- progress and so forth. So that's some of the other things that, that I've seen out there we need to do. And and there's a match I'm going to host um, in in December. It's called the Guardian Match. Um, that does something a little different. They they tell you mentor, coach, everything. Tell them where they're missing on the whole thing for the match, which I think is pretty cool because it brings in what we did. We had a spotter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So now the guy that doesn't have the the, the six millimeter uh, rifle that weighs twenty two pounds, they can press the trigger and it doesn't jump off the target. They can watch their own impacts. He's coming out with the you know the eighteen pound six point five or maybe even the three hundred eight because that's what he has. And he's wanting to try this out. They're the guys helping him. They're, they're guys working him through th- things and, and seeing things. So that's some of the other things that I've, I've looked at is maybe we need to incorporate these, that part of it in there. Yeah. The guardian uh, matches are great with Gary. Um, I mean, the, the, it's, it really is a duff, a different, again, it goes back to sort of the mindset, the, 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 the feeling in the air, when you go to one of Gary's matches is different than something else. It's almost like everybody's trying to out nice the next guy. And at the same time, it's like, you know, you know, Oh no, after you, no, after you, no, after you. And, and, and in a good way though, and because it's, it's really, there's not a lot of, like points on the line for people because it's not series, then it's not carried to another, um, you know, time. So oh yeah. This is a, it is a total benefit match for, uh, foster organizations that are out there. He, he does a great job. His, his, uh, mission statement is amazing. Uh, that's why Phil actually introduced me to Gary and we decided to go ahead and run the, the match that I'm having is the first time they've come to Texas. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Is, are you doing a one day or a two day for him? Uh, I'm doing a two-day for him. We're going to do the one-day match. The first one will be an individual match where they, they compete individually for, for um, first, second, third. But what they do for the prize table, they run a, like a raffle or uh, a, um, a drawing or then a uh, maybe a, a blind uh, auction or silent yeah, auction I, type the, thing. The last time I did a Guardian or I did that Guardian in Tennessee, the prize table was everybody giving it to somebody else. So yeah, it, it, it was like, yep. it, it was, it was, if you ever want to win something and you're kind of like that, that bottom 30 and you've been to matches, but you're always the bottom 30, but you're in, you know, everybody likes you. You get along great with everybody, but you're just not on any radar. Go to a guardian match. Cause odds are people are going to throw stuff at you. Cause it's like, it's people like me. I know like John McQuay was there and I'm trying to give my shit to John McQuay. John's trying to give it back to me. And I'm like, <laughs> no, dude, you give it over. And, and it's like, I don't want it. You take it. And he's like, I don't want it. You t- give it. A-. And it's not like, and it was a good prize. We're not like making fun of like, we didn't want it for a reason. We're like, right. we don't deserve it. Give it to somebody else. We're just here to have fun. So give it to that guy who needs it. Is, well, and that that's the thing about theirs is it's all about giving to back to the other shooters. It's and, and then back to the kids that are in the programs and so forth. It's all about that. And everybody comes with that. And what's great is that 
Gary lets the match directors really set up the match they want. One of the things that we're talking about field type sniper shooting, they actually run one match in South Carolina that's inside uh, uh, an abandoned nuclear facility, and it's run as a team match. It's a two day team match where they they run around that whole place and make them extra run through things and. Uh, they'll come up to a position that, what they have on their backs, what they got. Yeah, that GTI um, place over there um, yep. is a nuclear oil p- uh, plant, and they go up the towers, and you get like angles because they climb up, you know, multi-story uh, buildings and stuff, and shoot off of it. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with with that location. Yeah, he that one's a fun one. But on the two day matches like the one I'm running, what he does is individual one day. The next day is a team match. So, but what they do is who won uh, the first place shooter for the day one teams up with the last place shooter day two and they shoot a, a team match together see and that's so ne- gary thinking man <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah but i mean it's it's genius right i think about yeah. how smart that is okay we're gonna have a two-day match the first day is your single individual that sets the tone the second day we're gonna pair you with your better opposite so first place pairs with last place, second place pairs with second to last place. Now you two go solve the problem together and tell him how you did it. Guess what? Somebody's going to learn something. Yeah, exactly. And and the whole thing is is about learning and 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 you know they they talk everyone talks about building the sport. This is actually building the shooters. This is what it's about is building the shooters to be better shooters, better uh, marksmen. Um, and, and so forth. And something on that is, is Gary gave me permission to announce this. Um, the Friday before my match, Phil is going to come out with modern day cipher and they're going to run a, um, a train up day for competition train up day, the Friday prior on, um, in December. So nice. Phil's going to do that. It, everything, the, the, everything the, he does is, on that's going to, when is this match? Uh, the guardian match is the second and third of, uh, of December. I think that's the weekend. Oh, I uh, think I might have to come to that because usually December I'm stopped working by then. Um, I think I got to come down to that thing if 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 that sounds like a, a time I can make it work. Yeah, it's December second and third, and then on the first is when Phil's going to do that uh, benefit. It's limited on numbers. There's only going to do do twenty people in it, but everything that you know, that when people buy into it, he's putting that right back into the guardian. So yeah, uh, isn't it only like on 50 that. bucks? Isn't it like 50 bucks for the day? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's $50 for the day. And he, they're going to have most of the range to do what they want to do. And he's going to help them out, help people out on that. See, and, and this is the stuff like we're talking about. These are the little fires that people are starting because it's not being done nationally. And it, like, uh, you know, you talk about the Hunter thing earlier and I wanted to bring this up because like Satterley announced another Hunter course, right? So I'm mm-hmm. following what Scott Satterley's doing. Everybody saw the letter stuff on what's going on. You know, Scott's a bad guy. But the funny <laughs> thing is he's doing not he's doing a NRL Hunter. Not only is there like a barbecue with it, they're doing like dressing game. There's going to be a clinic for anybody goes how to dress game. So you're going to go to a hunter match and learn how to dress an animal. This it's, is, it's genius. Right. It's think, genius. Think about how many years of the other stuff, none of this happened. And now that we start to poke fingers and eyes, now that we start to open our mouths and say this is bullshit, and like-minded people like myself, you, Jacob, Scott, Satterley, Phil, all these guys – we're all starting to go, hey, let's just do it different. 
Let's just do it the right way and stop following the leader because the leaders aren't leading. And, and, and now you got guys that are that are doing value added. Jim C knocking the price down with border wars is another one. Hey man, we need a we need a fundamental change in the way these matches are going. Things are different today. Okay, what's he gonna do? He's gonna lower the price to 150, still give you a t-shirt, and still offer you a great event out uh in, in the Midwest here. You, you know, and and well, well, you have to say something on that. Is is Jim runs a great match. He he sets matches up to that challenges the shooters, and then people enjoy the whole thing. With that said, he gets the sponsors that help him do all those things. And and this is one thing that a lot of people are, are, are have an issue with is it feels like some of, some of these associations are more um, adhere to the sponsor than to the shooters. Um, so, but like Jim gets the sponsors to take care of things so he can lower the prices for people right. instead of the opposite. Instead of taking a hundred percent of the money and putting it back in your in, in your bank account, it's putting back and investing in that location. It's investing in that event. It's in, it's investing back in your shooters. But again, again, it's the NASCAR model. NASCAR invests in tracks. They don't invest in teams. They don't have a race car, right? They have tracks. Right. And and that's the difference between what I see. And and you know, really, if you broke this down. I, you know, as I've mentioned numerous times, I've turned into the de facto complaint department. I'm not a fan <laughs> of being the complaint department. So what I did is I didn't like what I saw. We felt there was people were in positions to change things. So you start saying, hey, man, how about changing it? Then they say, no, mind your own business. Okay, I will. But let's start talking about it publicly. So now they get butt hurt because you bring it up publicly and say, man, all we're asking if you break this down to the bottom, bottom, bottom line laying on the ground, is do better by the people you're supposed to be serving. Give them a better show. Give them a better course of fire. Give them a better reason to show up. You know, give them a better reason to come back. You've got longevity now. You've got experience behind the events you should know what's right and what's wrong, what works and what doesn't. Giving them better shouldn't be that hard. Making the same mistakes over and over and over again is idiocy. It's like, why are you making that same mistake? You've made that mistake four years in a row. Why are we still talking about it? Change it. And it's like, no, instead what they do is you, you point out and go, hey, dude, why are you doing that again? Oh, rah, rah, rah. Hey, man, look, it just turned into a problem again because you didn't address it last year. Rah, rah, rah. And then you go, hey, man, you got a problem one more time. And then they go, Frank's bad. And I go, why am I bad? You did it three times wrong and I pointed it out, but I'm the bad guy. And it's like, all right, I get it. So that's, but to me, that's why it's giving attention to you giving attention to Dave Thomas, giving attention to Jacob, giving attention to Phil, Pete up there, Gary with the Guardian, you know, Jim C with Border Wars. It's like, let's start pointing out where better practices are taking place. Well, and see, that's what I did with my facility is I decided to build a facility that people can come use. I don't want to be the only one and be be stuck in a box that I don't let other people come to the place. And, and then I gain ideas from them. I get, you know, I learn from people like Dave, Dave, Dave Thomas, 
he started that voodoo uh, rimfire series and he asked me if he could host some here. I was like, absolutely. I, I, I don't want to be the only one ho- holding matches at my place because it gets boring. You know what I mean? Um, I'm, I've got the same props. Now, granted, I'm growing. I'm in, increasing props like crazy. I should have uh, probably about 30 different positional places with by October. Um, so I could run 30 stages at one time on my place. But Dave's doing this rimfire. I let him come in and, and run them. With that said, he got awarded the PRS uh, rimfire uh, Central Region finale that we're going to host there in October, and he's the match director for he runs a great match. He runs them at Jacob's Place at Rifles Only. He does them out at um, Coyote down in um, Brownsville area, Coyote Farms. He does one at uh, a ranch called DEA Ranch and then at my place. Nice. It's a great, great thing. So shooters are seeing something different as, as they move to each one of these things for the series. I'm just the, the racetrack, as you said. They come in, they run my racetrack. It's different than the other racetracks they're on. So it makes it fun. Well, and that's not to get, I don't want to get Dave in any kind of trouble or anything, but it's pretty funny because that's where Dave's my moderator. And in, in <laughs> yeah. order to jump through these hoops, and Eric kind of is aware of what happened, but it, it was, there was pressure put on Dave to edit uh, PRS centric posts on um, Sniper's Hide. And of course, Dave said, no, that's not going to happen. You know, I'd kook out. Um, and then, so when when it came to my attention, I actually brought it to Shannon's attention, and Shannon denied uh, it, it ever came up. Um, said if it ever happened, it had it, he had no clue, and nobody should have ever said, um, you know, the situation. You you know it better than me, but I basically they 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 said to Dave, go edit Sniper's Hide, and we'll give this to you. You know, and. We could get into this, and we talked about this. We got we're moving to the positive on these. Things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, I mean, I'm just it, saying it, you were there, and you, because, yeah, but they I, did deny it. Yeah, and and you know, there's some things that we could start talking about, but I think you have the right mindset on this. Is we we got to come off these laps, start coming up and doing some things that the shooters want, and 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 getting them involved in it as far as how this is going going to work, and and that we can ha- make you ha- feel challenged, but have fun at the same time. And, and maybe, you know, as a match director, you know, when I take a step back, um, this match, we're going to work on, you know, shooting at, with a tripod as a, uh, as a rear support, you know, and that's the idea of the match as we build it. Um, or maybe we're going to do something. We're going to shoot off of, of positions that we're going to test you all in the, in the low kneeling, uh, supported, uh, up to, you know, squatted, um, standing, not, not getting all the way up into standing, not going all the way to sitting, but having you get in that position where, you know what, I'm only going to give you a, you know, a front bag, a one bag that you can use, you know what I mean? So now they have to, they, they, they actually learn something about their fundamental because they don't get everything they can carry in their, in their bag. Um, and I, I, I got this idea about not giving them so much stuff from Jacob, actually, where he took that, those four by fours, uh, and put them behind a, a prop and made people walk it, walk it with all their gear that like a balance beam. Yeah. He has the balance beam that goes across, right? He has like a little two inch, um, it's on the ground really low. Like if right. you fell off of it, it's only like three inches. Um, right. and, and, and basically he tells you, you got to carry all your stuff. 
and walk the balance beam and then without falling off, right. Without falling off and then get to the prop in order to engage it. I mean, part of the thing with, you know, you Jacob, myself and in our mindset is coming out of rifles only when the matches were down there, you know, the two weeks before any event we were teaching military people. So military guys carry their stuff. So you, they know this is my loadout. This is what I have. This is what I'm carrying. Now let's go up to these locations and make it work. So you start to use those different, use your pack. They got tripods now. Maybe you're using something else, but they're limited because they don't know how, you know, they got to carry food. They got to carry water. They got to carry all the things that match people can, can push away. And so you, you start to look at, the, the stage is slightly different than if I was going to walk up to a stage and I had my truck or something and go, oh, wait a minute. I can do that. with well, Hold on a second and run over to my truck and go grab it and then bring it to the stage and shoot it. There's a lot of events that let you do that. And when you have that ability to just at will get anything you need, it changes your mind. You know what I mean? It changes how you look at Sure, you look at it as solving a problem, but you look at it as solving a problem where, you know, there's no limitation in your world. But if you look at solving a problem and say, all I have is what's in my hand, then the problem gets solved different. Right. And that that goes back to, you know, you're the hunter. Let's go back to hunter mindset. You're out on a stalk, stalking either whitetail or elk or something like that. And you have what you have in your back. Yeah, and like you can stop and, and say, hold on, I need to go back to the truck. And, and now so, that's what they do. Right. And, and when, when you're out there on this hunt and, and your, your tripod breaks, which they ha- that happens, your, your head, all of a sudden your, a screw comes out of your head and falls in the ground and you can't find it, you now have to find a different way of doing it. Um, you have to find that tree that, that's there and use the tree in, in the best way you can to make sure it's a one, a, a kill shot, but an ethical kill shot. Well, and that's where the, the negative points would come in. That's where, you know, penalties would come in the competition for making a mistake. Right. You know, they've eliminated the, the, the negative side. They've eliminated the penalty side of things. But really what we're trying to reproduce, what we're trying to train and, and get to the next level with through – partly through competition has a negative side to it has a very real negative consequence. If you fuck up, you know, absolutely. And so that really should be in your mind. I mean, like I said, part of the project foresight that I'm doing is putting this kind of stuff to paper, you know, bad shots have consequences gear, you know, how do you manage? Like one of the things I'm looking at is, is exactly what you said right in the very beginning of this conversation is managing your gear. What, and I think there's going to be innovation through that. I was looking at, cause there's a lot of weird new packs that are out now. A lot of ones that have like Molly and they're squared off more rectangle and less rounded, um, climbing type packs and different things that are, are just, uh, outside the box of what you and I might have experienced with an Alice pack or outside the box of like my, with my Kafaru's 
um, the packs that are more of the, the round uh, three-day assault pack. Right. What if, you know, what if now it's like, yes, we want a pack that carries ammunition and does things, but also carries our gear to make it accessible on the outside for this kind of stuff because I'm going to be moving, moving a contact, and I might have that ability to move distances. Maybe I'm doing a Jacob in Assassin's Way. Maybe I'm doing Battle of Cayo up here in Fort Collins or one of my events. Or maybe you've got to walk three miles of a Sniper's Hide Cup in Washington. A, a, a pack mindset change to get that tripod out quicker, to get that. So I'm looking at that now. I'm looking at... Where is the innovation going to come from? Where is there potential for a new product? Where is that? Because it's all there. Like everybody says we were eliminating before. Oh, well, if you're going to change innovation, you're going to crush this and kill that. No, we're not. We're just refocusing it to a more practical standpoint. I'm not ignoring that side of the equation because what I want to do isn't going to allow you to go back to your car and grab that tool, you know, because it's convenient. Sure. I mean, and and now it becomes a thing. Do you buy a, you know, a, a 16 bat, um, 16 pound game changer changer, or do you buy a light fill bag from tab gear? Yeah. Because you got to carry it on your back. Well, and that, and, and uh, we were talking on the hide, um, everybody, there's a big conversation going on on snipers hide about the game changers in the blends. So you have the OG game changer, you have the Schmedium, and now you have the pint size, right? And then the get lights and the heavy fills, like you're saying, well, one of them is up there, like close to 16 pounds, isn't it? Isn't there a bag that's super heavy? Yeah, now? There, yeah there's a 16 pound that's filling with sand and it just, it's, it's huge and it's just, it's heavy as can be. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone nowhere near that with my sand compared to my sand sock that I used to use. Right. And so kind of, we were having this discussion on the hide and we were saying, you know, if you take a schmedium and you knock out half of the of sand and you put the other half back with get light fill and mix them in. Now you take what would be a five pound bag and you're running it around three pounds now you got something that's working pretty darn good, and 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 it's it's big enough to be malleable that you need. It's light enough that it's not kicking your ass. But then the question's going to become, how you going to get it there? How you going to carry it and manage it? Because that's a three pound rock that right. is going to be attached to your pack somehow. And if you got to do any kind of land nav or movement, where does that three pounds have to go? And why I think about that is my size. I had to carry all that shit. Dude, I had to look at how I carried because they didn't, you know, they didn't have Frank size equipment. My 782 <laughs> gear, you know, they weren't like, hey, here's a Frank size 782 gear. Give it to him. It was like, you know, this is Eric size 782. And this is, you know, so Jacob size Alice pack. And this is so I had to learn how to modify that for me to carry it. And, well, I had I had the opposite side of that for for what you had. See, I'm six foot four, so I was doing this stuff with with tripods that the guy came up to my waist, and then they wanted me to shoot offhand. You know what I mean? Right. So we were we were buying that twenty five dollar uh, camera tripod from Walmart 
going out and trying to shoot a, uh, you know, an 18 pound rifle off the top of it with whatever with ISO match uh, taped to the top of it. So you had something to balance it on and none of it was tall enough for me. So I had to get in positions that, that hurt, but I had to deal with it. It was just what you had to do. And you, I had to find a way to make it comfortable. Well, one of the big things that I did is it, you mentioned this before was, was the sling, the leather sling we used to use. I use that thing like crazy hasty slings and everything just to give myself some balance. Yeah, you have to. And, and, and that's see, so I, I don't think people understand, you know, we, we, we say, well, we took a game of basketball and they turned it into horse. Well, oh, okay. this is a great analogy. Yeah. This I mean, it, great it, analogy. it really is. And, and so if we want to get back to basketball, and, and honestly, I don't like uh, basketball's kind of shitty because they don't have gear. You know, they're wearing shorts and a T-shirt with a basketball. That's really it. But if we were more footballish or something or maybe a, a, a hockey or something where it was just slap shots all day, it's like, okay, do you need your well, – do you need skates? If, if we were just going to move to the line and, and, and just do uh, the, the, you know, slap shots into the net – and then the other guy is going to attempt to block it. You know, basically, what what do they call them in soccer? Like a free kick? Yeah, free kick where everyone stands there and tries to block it. Right. So if we were going to do the same thing in hockey, so we took a game of hockey and we reduced it to a slap shot contest, right? Well, everybody would start looking at their skates, their pads, the stick, the helmet, the gloves, and they would start modifying all of that because you're no longer skating and running around and banging into everybody, right? You're now you're just, just you're standing positional and pu- putting all your force in the in the club in the uh, stick, right? So that's where our rifles are today. So we have a belly bench rest rifle that's now being dropped, or a sand you know barricade bench rest, like Scott calls it, but our um, barricade bench rest rifle. So basically, we took we took a game of hockey in our stick, and we said, "Well, if I gotta play hockey, my stick needs to be like this." But I'm not playing hockey; I'm playing a slap shot contest. So I want a heavier face on my on my um on my stick. I want more weight because I want force and momentum. I want to do all it. W- it would translate perfect if you thought about it. That. I don't need hockey skates anymore. In fact, I'm going to use figure skates because I'm going to dig the toe pick in and get leverage. I'm going to anchor myself to the ice and not slip. And I don't have to do a thing. So instead of hockey skates, I want figure skates. Instead of wearing pads, I'm taking my pads off because I'm not banging into nobody. I don't need it. don't want a helmet. I want better glasses so I can see the holes in the net. You know, something, whatever it is. And, And... that's the mindset. That's kind of where people don't realize that minor modifications of the game change everything when we think about it. But but it it affects not only the the person that's shooting and and how he's able to shoot. It affects the match director designing a, a stage because for me, when I'm designing a stage and I'm I'm looking, I want to throw in some unsupported positions. But I'm as a facility owner, I'm looking at the safety in that because if they shoot over my berms, they're, they're leaving my property. Right. Because I don't own two miles of property. So if, if they miss my range, I have public lands or uh, private lands all around me. I've got to design a stage so that I know they're going to shoot and hit my berm. 
So that that gets me away from what we talk about is getting more into these more fun stages like an unsupported position or using the sling unsupported. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, th- those things, because I don't, I have to lo- go with the lowest common denominator on safety. This guy can't hold that rifle because it weighs 20 something pounds and I'm wanting to shoot five shots from two positions uh, moving. And I don't think he's going to be able to do it with this. So I can't put that stage in there. It's just not safe. Yep. And, and th- what people don't realize with that, it, it, for those out there listening, think about this. If I try to do this, you know, bladed, high power, I'm going to raise the rifle up and sky load it and come down and then go on the target. Yeah, the odds of missing high are pretty slim. But if you skip it low, it goes over the berm because the angle changes now. And we see that all the time. Like in Alaska, there's a range next to us, and guys will put a target at 25 yards and then shoot it with an AR. The berm isn't until 200 yards down because it's a 200-yard bay, but they let them put targets close. And when they when they shoot through the paper at 25 and it skips at 75, it goes over the berm at 200, and we hear it go through the woods. Even though that berm's 20 foot tall. It's, and it is a great berm. There's nothing wrong with the berm. The berm is t- totally 20 foot tall. It is an NRA range. The berms are well maintained. They're excellent. But when you skip around at 75 yards and the berm is at 125 beyond that, it's going over. Yeah. So it, 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 the whole thing needs to be take a step back and just, just let's figure this out. Yeah. I think we're headed on the right direction with some of this and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these labs and running some at my place. The, the labs are going to be key and, and, and the labs are what going to tell the tale. Uh, you, you know, the battle of coyote that Jacob's doing up here is a lab. Okay. That's in June. Um, in Fort Collins, he's got a mini Assassin's Way lab happening. Um, you know, we're going to be running with Chris and stuff here when I'm when I'm in some different stages. How does this work? Okay, we're not just you know doing it in the match. We're trying to really kind of define this. But I, I think we're all on the right page. I'm glad there's people like you that are out there with more facilities. You got Jacob. You got in. In the nice thing is. I, I, because it's it's your community in Texas, it's gonna grow out of there just like it did before. Because it's not it's not so fragmented where a guy gets experience to it in the Pacific Northwest and then he may never see it again unless he goes to the Southeast. With your Texas crew, they're such loyal shooters and they go to everything. They're gonna experience these changes quickly and across multiple locations. The variety of shooting they're going to get is going to be huge. Well, so for instance, where where I'm at, I'm the closest actual club is an hour and a half away from from where I'm at in in Austin area. ATX up that runs um, up at um, they do Reveille Peak, and then there's also another place that there's a uh, uh, Anderson Outlaw matches. There's nine clubs. Just that I know, just off the top of my head, that are within five or six hours of each other. Yeah. 
So we, we're, there's people out here designing these things like crazy and, and trying to come up with things that are out there. And some of the guys are like the ATX guys, they're actually designing, or Anderson Outlaw is the ones that are doing this. They're designing their matches around a fundamental, some sort of, of training fundamental. Uh, and they'll, they'll shoot the smaller targets, but they, they don't put as many people out there because they want to be a learning process. Totally. It's pretty, so they're doing a good, good things out there. And one of the things I'm trying to do is get all these guys together and say, hey, let's run a, a Texas club championship. Just, let's figure out what this is and and actually challenge each other and just to go with the, some pride on there. And we're, we're looking at trying to do that at the end of October also. Just got to get all the clubs involved in it. A lot of them have already said they're, they're, they're interested in it and so forth. We just got to work out the details. Everyone has called me, and my phone's been blowing up all week, or for weeks now, but everyone who's called me is so behind it. Even big names, um, companies, they're all behind the change. They don't like the contrived and, and all that. Um, I, I, we're, I kept you almost the hour, Eric. I went really fast, man. It was a good flow. But <laughs> yeah, what I did. want I want to get – you have a whole list of upcoming matches and events. Um, we, we talked about the first part of our list here, but you have – you have your monthly independence precision rifle club stuff, right? You have a one mile. Well, we try to run those. Those uh, we try to run those on the third weekend of every month, so we allow shooters that come shoot ours can go shoot those other matches too. Yeah, just so go, go with your consistent. list. Yeah, go with your list here. Just go run down your list of everything people can find at um, your Seven Foxtrot Firearms Training Location over there by San Antonio. Well, we also have like the, the known distance range goes out to a mile and I'm improving those to four lanes. So people can, we can shoot you know, 338 and below can shoot out to one mile and I'm running matches on those, uh, um, with ELRSO and then uh, some that are my own matches that will run cash payouts on those. We got Dave running his voodoo stuff, the series on that. The next one is June 6th at my place and September 7th. And the, the finale for that Voodoo uh, South Texas Rimfire Series, which is, again, being run at four different places, is November 7th. That's at my place also. Of course, we announced the Gathering of Snipers is coming up uh, on October 1st through 4th. So that that's coming up, and more to come from that from the Marine Corps Scout Cypher Association in the next week. Um, Dave's running that PRS Central Region finale on, on October 23rd. The... Um, we're still talking about that Texas State Precision Rifle Championship, which that, that's in the talks. We're looking at probably the weekend of um, October 30th, make that before the um, the actual hunting season starts down here because that starts in November. And then um, I've got an NRL match that I'm running, a two-day Texas Precision Rifle Classic on November 12th through 14th. And then the Guardian match we talked about on December 2nd through 3rd. Along with that, I run training courses that, that I run – you know, quarterly. So, you know, I've got the, uh, an intro to precision rifle and uh, long range precision rifle one and two, all of them are, are, are based around the fundamentals. Like we talk about it. If you don't have the fundamental, you're not out there. And it, it's, it's no different than what other people like uh, Jacob's running, what you're running, what Chris Roberts is running and, and so forth. Everybody's running great courses. So that you got to get out and get trained to, to, before you start trying to excel in anything else. Because if you don't have a fundamental to go off of, you're just, throwing rounds down range. Yep, totally. And I'll be in Texas in April with uh, Chris Roberts, uh, the CR2 class on the um, east side there. We're going to be in Texas, just north of Rifles Only, doing our, our class. So if you want to go online to Sniper's Hide, you could see I'll be in Texas in April 
uh, with the Chris Roberts stuff. So that'll be a fun time. We're going to have a blast. I'll, I'll probably be bouncing around. Because guess what? Before I end up, I got to talk about this really quick. I'm going to go a minute over on you, Eric. Okay. So I just got a note from like Lisa that there's new Bigfoot sightings down there on the East Coast in South Texas in like the Wild Horse Desert region. So now here's the thing. They got an it's got an Indian name or a Mexican name. I don't know. It's it's either uh it's either a Spanish name or an Indian name. I forget. But the, you guys have short Bigfoots down there. They're Chupacabra. Only, that's no, not the Chupacabra. It's the oh. uh, it's a uh, it's a C word though. Um like uh chicla or it's got some name. I don't know. It's got a weird quick name. <laughs> um but it's an it's like a Indian name. But anyway, Years ago, when I was down there, the patio, everybody's talking about, like, if you go to Rifles Only, if you, anybody's ever been down there on the highway, is a Mexican diner called the patio, El, El Tapatio. We just call it the patio, right? So go there, and there's all law enforcement, all, because that 77 is a big corridor to go to South Texas. And so it's a drug route. It's an immigration route. It's everything. So every agency on the books is usually having lunch at the patio all the time. So you see all these agents. Anyway, I would go there and say, hey, man, when the Bigfoot stuff came up, I'm like, listen, dude, I want to go hunt Bigfoot. I heard there's Bigfoot in Texas. And then that's when one of the um, the uh, game wardens told me, I had asked the guy a uh, uh, recipe for crane, uh, whooping crane and fawn. Um, he doesn't have good ones. I mean, their, their recipes are terrible. But anyway, so I asked him for recipes for fawn. And then I said, listen, I want to get Bigfoot. And then he told me about the short Bigfoot. Well, Lisa gets a hold of me this week. 95 sightings. So, oh, wow. So far recorded in that area that I'm going to be at um, with this. And, and they're like a five, four to five foot Bigfoot because the brush doesn't grow big down there. Um, somebody will tell me the name of him. He's got a name. And, and like I said, I'm spacing on it. I asked Jacob twice and he told me I don't remember it. Um, so anyway, so yes, I'm going to be down with Chris Roberts and then we'll probably go Bigfoot hunting too. So just so you guys know, well, there's all kinds of stuff out here. Yeah. You guys, got you guys got it. Uh, well, shit, you can go down to King ranch and just go shoot a game animal, find something from Africa. Well, I'm I'm actually about an hour from uh, Jacob's place right now, and I I put down two uh, out of thirty hogs yesterday. I was gonna say, and you know what's cool? What you you guys got right there too? Alligators. Oh wow! I didn't, where I'm at is too dry for that. Oh, you don't have the, you don't have the alligators by you? No, not by where I'm at. Now over um, uh, East Texas, out out toward Beaumont and that area, they're they're out there. Yep. Yep. So. All right, man. Eric, I appreciate you coming on, taking the time out of your day and your weekend. I'm getting ready to I'm, – I'm, I'm doing curls, man, so I can shovel snow tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm supposed to get like 40 inches. Well, stay, stay safe out there, man. man. I ain't going anywhere. I'm going to stay home and watch TV. That's where I'm going to stay, home in front of the TV. So, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Seven Foxtrot, San Antonio, Texas down there. Eric Finley, appreciate you coming on and giving your perspective. Um, and if you got anything else to plug, websites or anything, give it a go. At sevenfoxtrot.com is the website for the um, the facility, and we, it describes the range and lists our classes. All right, Eric, thanks a lot for being on the Everyday Sniper Podcast, and we're out of here.